Hi there, and welcome to the Everyday Millionaire Podcast. My name is Patrick Franci, and I am your host, and I want to begin by saying thank you for listening. On this show, I am having conversations with seemingly ordinary individuals who have achieved some amazing and extraordinary results in both their life and business. My intention is to inspire and help you learn and grow by having my guests share their journey of how they face and overcome their challenges, but also how they celebrate their many wins. And now let's get on with this show and have a conversation with today's guest. My guest today, Robert Overweg, is the founder of the Adaptable Mindset Program, where he and his team empower his clients to develop their own adaptable mindset, to develop mental flexibility, as well as learning to create mental space and finding new possibilities. Robert believes that in our rapidly changing world today, we keep feeling the impact of unpredictable events to which we need to adapt. Robert teaches how adaptability is about empowerment and finding new perspectives. The Adaptable Mindset program has been applied at several Fortune 500 companies, including Chanel and Heineken, as well as multiple SMEs and innovative schools. In this conversation, Robert shares some of his many lessons learned on his life and business journey to becoming a top performing leader. And without any further delays, let's get this show started. Robert Overweck, welcome to the Everyday Millionaire Podcast. Thanks for having me, Patrick. Yeah, well, thanks for joining me. I got stuck there for a second. Hey, so Robert, this is, uh, you know, it should be you that got stuck. It's 9 p.m. your time. We just talked pre-show. You're in Amsterdam. And, uh, you know, it's noon my time as I'm sitting here having this conversation. I'm feeling all fresh. You, on the other hand, have had a long day. And so thanks for joining me and uh, looking forward to this conversation today. Yeah, no problem at all. Looking very much forward to it. So, Robert, you know, what I like to do always is go into the intro. As much time as I spend on the intro coming into this, really, you know, I love to have the guests share with us, you know, when somebody says, so, Robert, what do you do? What's your answer to that question these days? Yeah, so it's always been uh, multiple hats, actually. Uh, but most of the time, we help organizations with their transformation, with uh, openness of the mind, with um, implementing bleeding edge technology for faster uh, development, ideation, creation, and all those sort of things. So it's a combination of mindset, technology, environment, and culture. That's all the things that we try to improve. Okay, so every word that you just spoke is one of my favorites. So let's talk about that. Awesome. You know, so when we talk, when you talk about the technology part of it, you know, we can get to you know, environment, culture, for example, those are high on my list of priorities as well as mindset. But where does technology fit in this? Now, it sounds to me like you, over the years, developed some type of a formula for transitioning or transformation of a business. Um, I won't assume that. But tell me a little bit about the digital or the technology side of it. Is it is am I using the right word when I say digital in, in this in this context? Or tell me a little bit about the, con- the technology side of things. Yeah, sure. Most often uh, organizations speak with us when they want uh, like a digital transformation or they want to develop a uh, new, uh, new product and find a product market fit. But often it's about large, big, risky projects. Um, and often what we see is that organizations or that they want to work more agile or, you know, in a more digital way, data-driven instead of data-informed. 
um, anyway, something with technology, but often we see that organizations start with the technological aspect. And often it's being put down from from um, from top to bottom, bottom on top of people, like on top of their already uh, large workload. And like, hey, now we're going to work data-driven. And instead of first creating the right space for people, for, for them to have time to process, for them to uh, explore, for them to get engaged again with their work. So we, every time when we work with new technology or we try to find these new product market fits, we also take care of uh, people, of engagement, of their imagination, uh, reduce stress and all those sort of things. So it's a very um, yeah, connected, holistic approach to, to change and transformation. And that makes it really work in these large-scale organizations as well. So is it just large-scale organizations that your focus is, or does this apply for even smaller business owners? Where does it kind of fit when you look at the model that you're developing of that transformation? Uh, does it primarily sit with larger corporate organizations, or does it really work in any situation where you're having that shift and change, albeit, albeit smaller business pivot quicker? Sure, sure. Indeed, you see that smaller businesses uh, already have a little bit more time than larger organizations because they they are just more focused on getting work done instead of having meetings. That's just one example. Yeah. But you can actually apply it everywhere. So we applied it within universities, in in schools as well, um, and also in uh, in smaller organizations. But mainly, we work with uh, larger organizations, a couple of hundred people plus. Yeah, and um, because. Yeah, we just like having that kind of impact. You know, it's um, impact and scale is always uh, is always fun because then you get an even larger ripple effect in society and in the world. But it's like the things that we that we teach should be skills for everyone, right? Like being able to create clarity, being able to constantly be in tune and in contact with the things that give you energy. Who doesn't want that? And also, I think SMEs should all be very much aware of all the new technology which is coming up, like the the no-code tools where you can build new products, apps, websites without writing a single line of code. And just, you can do it with one person. You don't need to have like a backend developer, front-end developer. Those things are going to uh, dramatically change as things are going to change through uh, GPT-3 and those kinds of things. Like all kinds of work with uh, where you write copy, where you create visuals, is all going to be dramatically impacted by these new technologies. And, and I think you need to prepare people for that, for that new world. And you need to guide them a bit to not be fearful for, of it, but to be you're like really curious about it and to find out how to use it for the benefit of everyone in your organization. I like the word of the being curious about it when we consider, I mean, what you talk about in terms of, you know, when you, when I think about SMEs, you know, I, I'm thinking definitely smaller businesses, but even what you just described in terms of embracing technology and taking it on, you're talking about a one man show, for example, that can do what, you know, it took 10 people to do eight people to do in the past, especially when it comes to things like writing copy and or developing a website and or, you know, creating a brand, you know, one person has so much more bandwidth when they embrace the technology. And that's kind of what I'm hearing you say when you talk about technology from your perspective. Yeah, 100%. And we've seen really dramatic change within these organizations. At first, 
everyone was just constantly talking about change. Oh, we sh we should be doing this. We should be doing that. And then oh, you're you're a year at you're year further, and then not a lot has materialized. And then we step in, and within two weeks, we've got a prototype ready, and we can test with uh, with end users. Right? It's you just introduce a different ball game. It's a different different way of thinking or working, and it brings the agility. It brings the speed. Brings efficiency. And um, yeah. So when you look at when within the context of your business, now we haven't talked about the overarching other parts of this, and I want to get to that, but I want to just be really clear on, you know, what you do or what you bring in terms of your expertise. When you talk about technology, are you also bringing the concept or the ways, so the technological places people can go or a team can go to achieve a result that they're looking for? So is part of what you do. Aside from a company going, okay, well, I'm going to implement this new technology or I'm going to expand on the existing technology and, you know, we're going to be very data-driven or whatever that conversation might be. Are you also the provider of those resources or a, at least a path to the resources that they may need in the world of technology? Yeah, often, so we can supply people, but often first we show what is out there and then people already almost fall, fall off the chair like, what, is this already possible? And then we show them how to use it. And then it's best for them to be able to do it on their own. Because eventually, like every company is going to be a digitally oriented company. So you better start becoming that as soon as possible. And, and I, I like everyone to have that autonomy and that flexibility. And yeah, I think we are more like the fire starters, right? We set things into motion. We make sure it scales. And then we set new things into motion again. And ideally, you'd have your people have the curiosity, openness of mind, and the tools to find their own things and set their own things in motion. But if that doesn't happen, we just repeat the steps. Now, Robert, I mean, you're a relatively young man, and you know, you've done a lot, you've achieved a lot. When you're looking in the corporations, and we talk about technology a little bit, and this is also going to link to mindset. It's going to link to all of it, actually, in, in my brain right now, anyways is that when we talk about technology, when you're approaching corporations of any size, do you see a resistance? Are you still finding a resistance to technology? Because ultimately I'm looking at technology and I'm thinking, you know, my problem is I love technology. I just don't know enough about it. Like I'm always learning about it. I'm always discovering it and I've got a great team. But the key here in this is they're younger than I am. You know, I'm the old man, uh, you know, on, on the kind of on the hill. And although I, I love technology and I embrace it, it you know, especially when it, it makes sense, do you find there's a lot of resistance to technology from perhaps bigger corporations or older CEOs or, you know, what's your experience in that regard? Where do, where do people get in their own way around technology, Robert? Yeah, and uh, there is a lot of fear with, when it comes to new technology, lack of understanding, uh, lack of imagination. Often people judge new technology based on the current iteration and forget that it will iterate maybe maybe into in, uh, infinitely, right? Mm -hmm. um, so people have difficulty uh, sketching out future scenarios. And often what we see when people are responsible for one job, um, for an example, you're responsible for customer support, let's say something like that, right? And then if something like uh, GPT-3 comes along, which can write your customer support responses for you based on a prompt from, from, the, from the customer, 
then then you might be like, holy crap, uh, no, that won't work. You know, often right. we see that people become more defensive. So the solution to that is and have people. Often it's a good idea to have them do multiple multiple gigs, multiple jobs, so that they're not responsible for just one thing. So um, introduce more T-shaped people, have them have multiple skills. So maybe SEO, search engine optimization, maybe copy, maybe bit business development, maybe so that they're always able to just fluidly move into new positions. We see that that helps a lot. And um, yeah, just create the space for people to experiment freely and a space where they can also, where they are allowed to fail with the new things. And another, another, a few other things don't really help with the openness of the mind, which is people don't have any time. Too many meetings, too much work pressure, maybe too much stress from outside, maybe too much Instagram and Netflix, so your mind is always full. And you need a little bit of uh, mental space, clarity. You need to you know, mess around a bit. And then you discover these new things and then you are more better able to apply these things. So yeah, that's also why we focus on like all of the aspects that we start with in the beginning. Because if you get all these prerequisites in place, then you stand a better chance of really making the change in that digitization work. I think, you know, when we talk about, and as I go back to, you know, one of the other, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to use the term pillars. This is my, me saying this, not you, but, you know, mindset, culture, environment, you know, when we consider that there's, a, let me go back a little bit. So there's a, a friend of mine, well, a, a good acquaintance now, and I've had him on the show, a guy from Vancouver, a man by the name of Jeff Booth, who wrote the book, The Price of Tomorrow. Now, the reason I bring that up is because in The Price of the Tomorrow, he talks about the deflationary aspect of technology, the effectiveness and the efficiency of it. And I think that if you're coming into some corporation, you know, there's got to be that whole thought process by many of the staff that are going, you know, this technology could eliminate my job. I mean, I think that has to be a theme that's kind of running through people's mind all over the place, all over the world in many things. I mean, as much as restaurant servers are now kind of like, depending on the restaurant, you know, they're having robots to bring your food. So I don't know where that all fits in, but if you don't create a culture and an environment, even the mindset that has people embrace it as opposed to resist it because of, to your point, the fear of perhaps losing a job or being outsourced by technology. What's your, you know, like, what's your experience been with that? And what's your kind of philosophy on that? Or what do you see? So we are very much into uh, embracing all the new technology, playing with it, and then being critical. That's probably a better way to judge it and experience it and develop real skin in the game. And we advise anyone in teams, in organizations, but also leadership to really have people, have them develop their own abilities. Now, there are always abilities that people have that will be useful. Like either it'd be listening to people, imagining new future scenarios, like those kind of things. Like we see often that organizations who start to work data-driven is that they just look at uh, MPS or customer surveys or get some data from their websites. And then we see that organizations start to become more iteratively innovative. They take these smaller incremental steps, right? Uh, we change the color of our font. We change this. Like it's no longer the, um, the really imaginative, creative things that really push humanity, that really push the company forward. 
And I think there will always be space for that kind of creativity, that kind of great, uh, critical thinking as well. So yeah, we advise people to, to focus on yeah, what resonates with them in combination, of course, with what is needed in the world. Just focus on your, yeah, on your own skills and on multiple, ideally. So imagine that you are a very uh, good copywriter or if you are an average copywriter, then, you know, you can also even work with the technology to become a better copywriter. But if you're a good copywriter, it could also be that your work gets uh, a little bit of competition from these AI tools. So if that's the only thing you can do, then ideally you'd also be open to, yeah, different possibilities. You know, I think you should all, ideally people should also have multiple gigs. I'm a very uh, big proponent of that as well. Yeah. yeah. So, so when you say multiple gigs, are you talking about as individuals or within the role of a corporation? So both. Um, so what we see now changing with large organizations like Unilever, HSBC, PepsiCo. Uh, so the first thing which is changing that it's no longer that people sit on a hierarchical place in, uh, in the organization. No teams materialize overnight based on certain challenges, which there are. And these teams can form from like all over the world. So almost like decentralized teams, but they are there for a specific task and it's based on the skills that you have, which is already an, uh, an interesting thing to have. And then what we also see is that these organizations, they let their employees also have other gigs. So one lady at Unilever works for three days in the legal department. She works one day uh, with her parents. She takes care of them. Uh, she works for one day at a smaller legal firm. You know, so she she learns still on the fringes how it is to hustle in a legal firm on a smaller one, right? And then she learns how it is to take care of people, about empathy, about you know, love, take care of your parents. And then she's also working in the larger corporate. And I think that is, I think it's better for people if we don't compartmentalize them and if we give them the a freedom to explore. And that's also what we see with almost the most successful people in organizations almost all have like their own app that they're running or a side hustle or, you know, or something like that, because you learn so much from that, right? If you need to come up with your own proposition, with your positioning, with your copy, it's, it's all skills that are also applicable in the, in the larger organization. Let's go back a little bit here just to keep certain follow this thread a little bit and kind of pull on a, on a thread or two. When you look at the adaptable mindset, that's a program that you that developed and evolved and that's kind of where your focus is. But let me ask you this question, why am I coming to you? So if, what is the problem you're, save, you're solving or the gap you're filling? So why would I come across Robert and the adaptable mindset? Yeah, so the things that we often, that when people knock on our door, they are often saying like, hey guys, uh, no one wants this change. We have difficulty making the, the transformation or people don't embrace the new technology. Or it could be, we have too little time. There is no mental space. Or people are, you know, they don't have energy at all. Uh, like especially after the entire Corona pandemic, very few people ha had taken care of their inspiration, like of their energy. And then if you want to do innovation with like half of your workforce being burned out, not inspired, it's like doing innovation on hard mode. You know, it's possible, but it's a little bit dragging a dead horse. So we step in 
for for the energy, for the fresh perspectives, to reinvent how we work and to ignite the imagination. And then we also come up with the tools to validate and create a prototype and put stuff into reality. So it's almost, yeah, we, I think we can step in on most of the essential things. So when we look at what's, you know, transpired, you know, you brought up COVID, Robert, and I look at this and I think, you know, two and a half years ago, I mean, we, within an organization, within one of the businesses I own, the Real Estate Investment Network, you know, we were all ready, for example, I had an international team, I have an international team, we were using Zoom, we had a, a platform of communication, we use a platform called Podio, we, you know, we really embrace all of that technology to communicate, it's accountability factor, it's all of those things. And for us, it was a very easy change. But here's my experience. We're a national organization. We went from doing live events, you know, uh, probably 60 a year, uh, you know, small and large crowds, doing all of those things. So all of a sudden, boom, we're on Zoom. So for us to flip the switch to go to Zoom was pretty natural for us. But then I think to this day, now two and a half years later, how much, it not on, I shouldn't, I've got to be a little bit, I want to qualify it a little bit. I'm still surprised at the resistance some people have to doing Zoom because they don't embrace the technology. It's not because they don't know how or that they don't want to be on Zoom. It's, like they, that's, it's just technology that intimidates them. Have you noticed a shift though? Now, having said all that, past that's not as common anymore. Uh, people have embraced it. I see people have come to appreciate it. They're going, how much more efficient is this? I mean, here I am having a conversation with Robert. You're not flying into Vancouver. I would love to have an excuse to fly to Amsterdam, perhaps. But the point is, is that we're not having to do that. So when you look at the past two and a half years, have you seen that the adoption of technology, the acceptance of it, especially in that kind of C-suite where you're dealing with some of these larger corporations? Because at the end of the day, you know, the pointy head of the sphere has got to be driving this and buying into it. Have you seen a big shift in that acceptance? A little bit of yes and no. So uh, the, in, in the no aspects, we've seen that leadership, some leadership from some organization ask people to come back more often to the office. And then people with their best intentions say yes, and then they don't come. Then there's, all, then, right, there's an excuse, oh, no, sorry, my dog, really? <laughs> and it's the people who live the closest by. So I think... Most people are, at least from what we experience, benefit from a little bit more space and benefit from not having to commute and benefit from not working in an open office where you're constantly distracted, those kind of things. I think a hybrid situation is probably useful. doesn't have to be that way, but being in the same room, uh, experience each other's vibe, you know, um, being able to look each other in the eye, you, you do get a lot of more detail, right? And a lot more sensing when, when you are together. And we see with the younger people that they are dealing a bit with screen fatigue, yeah. which was news to me. You know, I, I would have figured that the, the TikTok generation who is just infinitely scrolling, even they are like, damn guys, <laughs> we've got too many screens. Uh, uh, too many screen time, too much screen time. And, and you see it in the, in the data as well. I think in the US people spend around four hours, four or five hours and 20 minutes on their screen, uh, on, their, on their mobile device. And so that is on top of your whatever work you're doing. So I think it can also be a little bit too much 
And sometimes you just need to do nothing. hundred percent. hundred percent. So let's, you know, there's a, there's something to be said for the difference. You brought up the U S you know, I'm in Canada, you know, you're in Amsterdam, but when you look at, let's say your travels, whether it be UK, European, U S Canada to the degree, I don't know how much you're involved in that, but I mean, do you see the differences from, you know, culturally and, or, or, or is everybody experiencing similar or the same problems? Do you see any diversity in the problems that you're solving or facing uh, client-wise from, you know, across the, around the world? Yeah, 100%. We see that in Europe, a lot of organizations are experimenting with a four-day uh, four work week. I want to say four-hour. That would even be more amazing. But like the four-day work week and people maintain productivity or, or it even improves better mental well-being, et cetera. So I think we've got a little bit more of a liberal uh, liberal background that allows that kind of experimentation. I think in the US, uh, you've got very few vacation days. It's oh, at least that's what I always hear. It's often just hustling. Sure. I'm not sure if that is the right thing for mental well-being uh, and, um, and maybe even innovation. Uh, although you can you can get shit done, right? So <laughs> there's always there's always this um, there's always this balance. Not sure if I answered your uh, your question correctly. Yeah, that, that I think that th- those are the things that that I experienced from for organizations how they deal with this um, this change. Well, it's interesting that when we talk about technology, that's one aspect of it. You know, mindset, and then we talk about environment. You know, I want to get into the conversation about environment and culture because. Something that shows up for me, and it's interesting because within, you know, my own organizations, uh, I own a couple of different businesses. My wife owns a business, but the point is, is that literally we're virtual now. I mean, it's not that we don't ever see the teams, but we have to literally fly to those teams to be able to get together with, in, with anybody in person. So in the case of the Real Estate Investment Network, my team is really spread out across the country. And then we have a team in the, in the Philippines whom we don't see ever physically. And then if I'm meeting with my CGO or my VP of sales and marketing, you know, guess what? I'm flying out to see them because they're, you know, across the country. It's all to say this is that what we've discovered, and I share this with you, and I'm not saying we're great at it by any stretch of the imagination yet, but one thing we've become very aware of, when we get together in person, as much as we may work, our time in person. We work great online. We work great in a virtual environment because we are all very competent. We're all very capable and we're all very committed to an outcome. So when we do get together in person, we may take visit and talk business, but it's always while we're having fun. It's always over a beer or we're breaking bread together. So mm-hmm. what we create is an environment that is very focused on being creative and having some laughs and not, not worried about, okay, well, how can we function if we're not going to the office together and being creative? I think there's, we've successfully worked around that. And like I say, there's always room for improvement. So I don't want to paint some idealistic picture, but it definitely works. And we see that in, you know, three of our businesses. But do you think that's a, even a possibility? I'm not a large corporation. I mean, collectively we have a number of staff, but do you think that's even a consideration? Because when we talk about environment, let, let me just keep, I'm going to go on off on a tangent. I, you're my guest, but I, I want to have this conversation. I want to tap into your expertise. So when we talk about environment, so I want to create that environment, right? Which is to say, 
you know, you come into work. When we do get together, we're going to do this. But, you know, we're going to break bread. We're going to, you know, we're going to have some drinks. We're going to have some fun. We're going to, whatever we're going to do. We're going to go fishing, whatever. The point is, is that that's time for creative space. That's time to have some laughs, to get to know each other, to hear what we're dealing with personally as well as professionally, right? It's just a different environment. Having said that, culturally, we have to define that culture. In other words, we have to not only have our team buy into it and say, what culture do you want to create? Like, who do you want to be? How do you want to interact with your teammates? Uh, how does communication got to flow? You know, how are you going to respond? You know, like we have a, a kind of a pretty, pretty solid, no gossip, no complaints. You know, if you, if you got a complaint, get it handled. You know, like if you got a problem and you're complaining about it, why are you complaining about it? Get it handled. Take it to somebody who can do something about it. Don't just sit there and whine about it. So that's cultural shifting and changing. And if you have some fear about something, then you talk about that. You know, whether it's a fear of a decision or a fear of, you know, sales are softening and holy crap, what's going on, you know, whatever that is. But that's a culture that has to be intentionally created. So that's my long-winded kind of way into the conversation with you and how you might see that, Robert. Yeah. Yeah. So what we see in, uh, in organizations who first worked um, on-premise, a great example is Dropbox. So they revamped all of their offices. Everyone can just always work from home. And if you have a creative thing or just want to hang out and vibe and to your point, like drink something or uh, eat something with a colleague, then you can come to the office, but you don't have to. And I think that that is a nice idea, you know, where you can get in touch with, uh, can be exposed to serendipity again, you know, to do have that, because that's a challenge to do have the water cooler conversation. And also you tapped a little bit into different ways of working, which um, come with the, the online world. And if you, if you just transport or change all your physical meetings to Zoom calls, then you'll be depleted by the end of the day. So what we also see organizations now, organizations are doing is they document more online in a written word. So they use Notion, Google Docs, Asana, whatever you want to use. And decisions are being documented there, very transparent, which saves meetings or people use tools like Loom. Uh, with Loom, you can just record a quick video. You can even put it uh, li like a small sphere. You see yourself uh, yapping, talking, and you can put yourself on top of a presentation. You just send people a small Loom of five or 10 to 10 minutes, which also saves you a call. So we do see that organizations are experimenting with new ways of working. And I think you also need to practice the, these new ways of working and change your environment and how you do things um, to be better able to get the most out of this way of work. You know, that word that you use, change, that is, I think, probably one of the most difficult things to have people embrace. And part of the challenge with that is that letting go of what you've been used to doing, you know, it's like, putting on an old shoe, you know, it's like really comfortable. And then all of a sudden you're saying, what? you want me to change? You're going to have to think differently. I'm going to have to view the world differently. And when you go in uh, with your team or when you go in and you're having a conversation, give me a little bit of a picture. Are you dealing with, let's say, just the, you know, at what level are you entering the conversation with? I mean, are you training and working with managers 
or senior management, middle management? Are you working, you know, on the ground with teams of people that you're getting together and having conversations with? Kind of tell me a little bit about where you're entering the conversation to initiate yeah. some of these uh, changes. Yeah, sure. Sure, Patrick. Um, so often our first contact is with either the head of innovation, head of product, CTO, or, or C-level. And then often we just have a conversation about, hey, what are the things that um, could be improved? What are the challenges that we're dealing with? And then often we switch to, um, yeah, you could call it like um, little interventions or workshops with the the the, the teams um, uh, that, that we we're talking about, the teams involved. Uh, it can be workshops with 12 to 15 people. We did sessions with 90 people, so nine zero. Uh, all at the same time from many different countries, which all flew in to, for three days to get into the same mindset. We individually coach, we do interventions in culture, uh, we do a learning and development uh, plans. So um, multi-year plans to change the culture, educate people in like all the things that they're dealing with it can be imposter syndrome. It can be. Uh, how to create a mental space for busy product teams, like whatever is needed. And most recently, uh, we just we did a thing that I'm yeah really proud of, and which was a was a great success. We we did a festival, so we did a festival of a week for um, yeah quite a large organization for 300 people, and that was about so everyone a lot of people in the organization were uh lacking a little bit of energy and they were the organization was going through a dire period it was very very difficult for people so we gave them the energy mental space and we had track reinvent how we work and what we also did so that's always the thing with us we invite people to collaborate so we're not going to broadcast and tell you what what you should be doing so we create space the safe environment we do come with inspiration we do come with tools but we also ask you to come up with your own ideas. And that's what happened with the festival as well. So it was really co-produced with the people within the organization. And they also had their own tracks and their own things that they were doing, which yeah, opened up the eyes of the other people working there. Like, wow, is this possible? Yes, this is possible. You know, and then you get into this this motion and then you unlock something. And then yeah, life becomes just better and 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 people are more open and able to change. It's, you know, I think what you really hit on there, and, and this is a concept that's difficult for many leaders to grasp, especially new leaders, which is what you said or what I heard you say is that you created the environment. You held space for people to show up, to be creative, to, and offered them some tools, some guidelines, some guidance in being and yeah. having their creativity. But the term holding space, unless you've experienced it and or or that person that is counted on to do it is, I think, a difficult thing for many newer leaders to understand. What's your experience with it? That's my experience, my okay. world. Robert, what's yeah. yours? Yeah, I can give you a very uh, nice example, which immediately illustrates how easy it is to do. So we were going to do a workshop for whaling in Barcelona. Um, team had some challenges, cultural challenges in the, in, for the innovation team. Uh, so, uh, so we flew over and the uh, head of innovation told me, hey, Robert, uh, no matter what happens in the next few days, you know, at least we had fun, right? We had a nice preparation and you know, we'll see how it goes, but at least we had fun. 
that is creating space. Mm-hmm. You know, that is like, hey, you do your thing and just flow, man. And from, from that moment on, it was just creating that kind of freedom. I think that is, um, it's not what you see often because often you see that uh, leadership and that's a pitfall that a lot of leaders step into on which we should change is that they say, we want to work more like a startup and you can experiment here and you can feel there. And people are like, yeah, yeah, we want to do that. But also uh, you need to obtain your KPIs or your OKRs for this quarter. And they're the same as last year. Like what? <laughs> How can I do this, the same work uh, workload and be? Um, so um, yeah, people like individuals and teams struggle with that that paradox. And we should be more conscious of the words that we speak, what we ask from people and how their environment really is and what space we are really creating for them. When you, and just give me a little bit about, you know, what you do with the Adaptable Mindset program. It sounds like you have, you have like a small ninja-like team that goes in and, you know, with precision, you know, you work with other, tell me a little bit about your team and and what you do in that regard. It's It's fascinating to understand that, you know, there's, somebody like yourself and a team like you that does what you do. It's kind of a, an interesting business model. Yeah. Yeah. It's pretty cool. Yeah. So it, it, um, it culminated from doing 10 years of innovation within corporates. And then you sort of start to find out, you know, what is lacking or what is needed. Uh, and then if you all just have very equipped people who are very good in listening, who have, uh, run large organizations who have been through the motions of, of innovation, finding product market fit, et cetera. And then, you know, it's about having that conversation with the head of innovation or with the product lead and making like a custom program for that team and spending real time with all the individuals in that team and asking them, Hey, what gives you energy? What drives you? You know, these are often very profound and useful questions. And then people say like, well, I'm very much into architecture. I like helping people. I like doing yoga. And then of course comes the obvious question. How well are you connected to that? You know, how well is that set up in your life currently? And 90% of the people just don't have that set up in the right way. Right. So they're not connected to the things that inspire them. They, they forgot to take care of that because they're just working. Um, but we see. For example, uh, Apple has their own university, right? They teach about they teach through the the art of Picasso about the the philosophy of simplicity. Uh, Audi has the same thing. LinkedIn has something similar. So you need to nurture the soul. You need to nurture the soul. You need to take care of imagination, and we need to find a personal formula for everyone, whatever that is. So maybe for you, it's art and boxing or music. How can we integrate that in your life, in your work life? Those are interesting. What other things are we as a group struggling with? You know, these are interesting questions. And then how might we solve it? So we inspire the heck out of you, like with all the things that are possible. Also from, with examples, how other organizations are doing it. So people get more into a mindset of possibilities because that's the key. So we create energy. People come into the mindset of possibilities and then we can, yeah, help them and guide them along that way as well. So tell me a little bit about your own journey, Robert, because you are here today, you accomplished a lot. You continue to grow and build your own business and support others. You have 
kind of a vision. I, you know, I'm assuming you have a vision and or a mission. Let's start there. Would you, if you were to describe kind of what you hope to achieve or what drives you or your team, what's behind it? Yeah. So I, ideally, I would like everyone just to have the ability to always find a fresh perspective, you know, to always find new possibilities for people to be able to imagine new things. Because if you're able to imagine new things, you know, you'll always find a way out, out of whatever dire situation that you're in. But you're, but we will also be able to imagine like a better world, uh, like a world with less stress, more well-being, solve the issues that we are dealing with individually and as a collective and as a world. So I think we need adaptability as a, as a society as well, as organizations and as, a, as individuals. So that's, yeah, that's our goal to scale it within organizations. So, so we can get the skill and then also, uh, we're working more and more with schools. So that is more of the, the longer term plan that we, because if you start giving kids the right tools, you know, to be able to control what they think, think in a more positive way, find possibilities, then uh, we would have less work later on. So we, we would have to spend less time fixing people uh, later on. Um, and why we started this, like I said before, I was already working for 10 years in corporate innovation, um, helped launch a few startups, got uh, quite a few rounds of, uh, of, of seed funding and those kind of things, worked with universities. But like across the board, man, I saw so many people uh, yeah, just not, being in their fullest potential, right? And there was this, even this one guy who said to me that he didn't mind breaking his leg so he could be sitting at home for a couple of months. I'm like, wow, this is not good, man, <laughs> you know? But the guy was extremely talented. And we see it still so often with the teams that we're working, that people are feel so stuck while we just see so much potential. And it's just like, giving them the tools, getting out of the way, creating space for them to flourish. That what That's just what makes me and what makes the team happy to do those kind of things. So let's go back a, a little bit, but I kind of went veered off of, but give me a little bit of your own journey as a young man. Did your, your entrepreneurial today, have you always, I mean, you had a stint corporately, so you weren't always entrepreneurial or perhaps you were, but it took you time to get there. But did you come from an, an entrepreneurial upbringing? What was your relationship? Like, how did you kind of get on this path, do you think? Yeah. Yeah. So both my parents were entrepreneurs. Uh, they started from nothing, um, had a stall on the market, and then um, yeah, gradually, slowly but gradually grew uh, a larger company. I decided to yeah, take my own path, not following the, those footsteps. Um, in the beginning, I had no clue what I wanted to do, but I did notice that uh, the more and more I took my own path in life, the better things fared. Um, but I did found my own design agency when I was like 17 because I felt because I just liked making stuff and people want to pay money for it. So that was a pretty, um, yeah, pretty good shtick, pretty good thing to do. And I always just kept doing that. And after a while, I noticed that. I wanted to upgrade my skills, so I went to the Art Academy, got admitted, finished the Art Academy as well, but my journey there was quite was quite a struggle. So I always wanted to do crazy stuff and never follow the rules because I was like, yeah, I'm at the Art Academy, right? But even at, at the Art Academy, they wanted to 
box things in. Like, no, you're this kind of, we are going to educate you in this kind of role. And I was like, yeah, but I'm going to take photographs in computer games. And this was in 2007, I think. And they were like, dude, are you crazy? You should go to a gaming education. What? I'm in my senior year. What are you talking about? And the interesting thing is I did keep pulling on that thread. I did keep exploring that. And within like five years, my work was all over the world. at Centre Pompidou, Media, Biennial and Seoul, exhibited everywhere, was flown in all, everywhere. And that was such a good lesson for me, like, like follow your own path if you believe in things. And I started to apply the same within the organizations that I, that I work with. Like in the beginning, a lot of people don't understand it. And yeah, it's, it may, might sound a bit weird, but often I was able to see things, how they could be. And then a lot of other people weren't. And that gave me the, yeah, the epiphany, the idea that we should all train a little bit more on openness of the mind, of flexibility, so that more people are able to see things. Not that my ideas are the best, but just that everyone can have this openness for, for new things. So I think that is a short, my journey. Let me go back a little bit. You know, I'm, I'm curious when you talk about your art, you mentioned photography, the art that you actually created some level of fame around, if you will, or at least some success around it. Was that brush to canvas? Was that photography? Was that electronic? What was that? What is it that you did in, in terms mm -hmm. of art? Yeah. Yeah, so I saw computer games. I saw virtual worlds as the new public spaces. That was back in 2007. That was before the metaverse, before all that talk. And uh, of course, games have, uh, have a certain goal. And I was like, yeah, I'm not going to follow the goal. I'm just going to dwell around. I'm going to find the end of the virtual world. I'm going to document weird stuff. So I took photographs in computer games. And um, yeah, in the beginning, everyone thought it was silly. But after a while, um, yeah, more people started to pick it up, like BBC, Esquire. And um, also, I got a lot of hate in the beginning. <laughs> like, yeah. people were saying, oh, you're making money out of this. And I was like, broke. <laughs> I was making like none of it. Starving artist, starving artist. Yeah, oh my Lord, man. Um, so much judgment from people. Uh, I was in the beginning with new things. Uh, it's so fascinating. Um, and, and the similar thing I experienced when doing innovation in, in these large organizations. So much judgment in the beginning, like, God, oh, it will never work. That won't happen. Or there's this fear. And I really want to help people to live more in freedom, live more in abilities, live more in possibilities. Okay. So I'm going to go down a little different path here because of what I'm hearing. You know, when I talk to many guests, you know, what I discover is often they have a sense of clarity of who they are. They have a sense of clarity of, even if it's not a hundred percent clear, they, if you say, you know, if you ask them, what the hell are they doing? Why would they go down that path? And you didn't use this language, but it was like that. It's just because that's where I need to go to be true to who I am. That, and, and you have that, you have that view of the world you have that view of yourself. My experience in with coaching, and it's actually many of the clients I've had over the years of coaching is really a journey of self-discovery. It's they don't know who they are. They're, you know, they're often not satisfied or they're unhappy because they can't really, they don't even know what 
they can't be true to themselves because they're not even sure who they are. Does that make sense, Robert? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Do you find that? And the reason I bring that up is because you're one of those unique individuals who at some point when they were younger actually couldn't stay true to themselves. They had that vision, whatever it might be, as ridiculous as it sounds. It only made sense to them. They were able to yeah. overcome the pushbacks from probably parents or friends and peers and all the rest of it. And I'm not saying that was easy, by the way. I'm not implying that at all. But the reality of it is, is that you have the clarity to do that. My experience is, and I'm sure you must find that with some of your clients, you know, their staff is they don't have that clarity. They don't even know what the hell they're true to. They, they go in, they do their job, they go home, you know, they watch Netflix. They're not particularly unhappy, but they're not fulfilled. They're not happy. They're not feeling like my life is lighting me up, you know? So what's, what's, what's your guidance in that regard? Any, okay. any, any profound thoughts, Robert? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I melted them. So I wrote a couple down. Uh, first, I want to start off with that I don't believe that there's one you. I think throughout your life, you develop in multiple uh, different forms of you. And I think in the many interactions that you have with many people, like um, with your lover at work, you know, you are a different persona. And once you have that consciousness that everywhere it's a role that you play, you are also able to get out of the costume and get into a new role. So often what we see is that people are a bit hesitant to step into a new role because they don't know what it will bring. They don't, and they are more comfortable with the current role, although they are bored out of their minds in that current role. Mm -hmm. So, but if you have the idea, the notion that, hey man, it's just an experiment, we're just going to put on this, this suit for a little bit and no, you're not married to that suit. You know, you, you, it won't make a symbiosis with you. You are able to have multiple hats. Just take that, um, allow yourself to take that freedom and allow yourself to be able to deal with that yeah, sort of the, the uncertainty, ambiguity. It's part of the journey. It's, and it's also about not giving up. That's what I see as well in, in my own story. But when I look around myself and I see people who had brilliant ideas and have a lot of potential, sometimes they just quit. And it can be that you are on the track of a shit idea, right? I've had s some startups where it was a good idea to stop. And I think that is also the beauty of life that you don't really know uh, what is the right, uh, what is the right call. But again, that is also fine. It's just be conscious of what is happening, flow through it, but also find support. I think that helped me. So I did have support specific moments in my life. So if you are an individual, then you can also be that supportive role in someone else's life, right? Mm -hmm. And that will already bring you joy. But I also got support from the books that I read. So I read a lot of biographies about crazy artists. So I read that, for an example, Jeff Koons, he was bankrupt when he was at the, the heights of his, height of his career. I was like, what, that can happen? Okay. Oh, well, then I can also experiment to fail. You know, it doesn't really matter. Even if the greats do it. So it's about picking your, um, maybe your mentors and you don't even really need to meet them physically. They don't even need to exist anymore. Uh, it's just, you can eat, yeah, it sounds a bit weird, but you could even have like almost imaginary conversations or you can imagine where you want to be in the future 
and then just reverse engineer how you're going to get there. That's an interesting point that you make, and I and I and I uh, I hope I'm not interrupting your thought. And there was one thing that that um, that um, I can say all of these things, but it could also be that you're just too distracted. You know that Instagram just pulls you in, Twitter, whatever your work, maybe you have two kids, and then you're like, dude, what are you talking about? My life's too busy. But it's also about priorities. So I reframed Instagram as loser time. So when my girlfriend or me are on Instagram, I'm like, hey, what are you doing? Are you spending are you spending loser time again? Like, yes. And then like you, you don't want to do those kind of things. You I mostly want to do things that contribute to my energy, my mindset, my life, my well-being, or or I'm just doing nothing. Ideally, you know, your life is more set up in that way. So that's more supportive to your goals. So that's the thing I wanted to add. Because life can be difficult, you know, with all the distractions and everything pulling on you. Well, and I love that loser time. So I'm glad that uh, you brought that up. You know, it's interesting around social media. Myself, have spent too much loser time, but I'm 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 far better. Like I I I really got to. I'm going. What if I'm looking at something because I've been kind of sucked down that hole? That you know, the next thing you know, I'm mindlessly doing nothing. I I do have the wherewithal now to look at and go. How is this serving me at all in any way, shape, or form? And so now it's just getting to the point where I'm just not spending any time there at all. Like I don't feel like I'm missing anything. I'm just not missing. You know, like I'm, I'm just realizing how unproductive it is. Number one how unfulfilling it is and how disconnected I am from my own creativity, from my own space. Like I'm literally zoning out. I may as well, I don't know, I may as well go smoke a joint or, you know, drink, you know, like it's just, it's a disconnect is what I'm saying. In yeah. That regard. Yeah. Something I want to go back to and a couple things that you said in there, that I just want to kind of highlight, which was there is an, there isn't a one you like there's an evolution of who we are. And I, and I 100% agree with that, by the way, I think that over time, as we get older and, you know, we start young, you know, in our twenties, let's say where we may be thinking about a career and we don't know where we want to go, what we want to do. We don't even understand what our values truly are yet. And I, I'm always, I believe wholeheartedly that if you can identify where, what your top values are, and then live into those values, you will always do well. And those values shift and change, you know? I, as a young man, wanting to have a family was different than the man I was when I had a family. And now as a grandfather, my values change, right? So these are things that happen and we have to understand that. Something else you said that just a, a moment ago, Robert, was are you, do you have a vision? So in other words, do you work backwards from, and I'm not talking about a goal, but I'm talking in your own philosophy and even, you know, personally or how you impact other teams, do you work backwards from a, what do you want that vision to be? What do you want that life to look like? What do you want that business to look like? And a, and a kind of a bigger macro picture and then work backwards to put a plan in place or execute on something like that. How does your brain fire when it comes to that, even personally? Yeah, I think um, we and um, sketch out a future scenario for individuals, uh, how they would like to have their life, how they would like to live their life. But we also do it for organizations. Like how could your company look in three years? What would should be your application? What would be your proposition? Hey, why don't we build it now? You know, I would look, oh, we don't have a date. We don't have this. Sure. 
or what do we have and how can we sketch it out so we can, we can feel it. Now that we can have sort of a prototype in our hands or whatever, that becomes a little bit more tangible that more people can start to believe that this could become a reality and we can more align towards that goal. That being said, that's one approach, but you know, it's adaptable mindset method. So we also have the approach of that you're more reacting, that you're more conscious of what is happening. That's also what I've been, I've been applying both the last couple of years and there I'm more just really listening to what the world needs instead of me pushing what I think that the world needs. So first adaptable mindset was an online course as well. And we worked together with the University of Applied Sciences. It was all great. A couple of thousand people went through it. It was a success. But hey, the world is changing. People no longer want to sit in front of a screen to learn. Hey, the workshops create way more beautiful energy. Transformations work better if we create larger plans for multiple months, multiple years. Let's do that. It's, and that did not culminate out of a vision. That culminated, came out of taking a step back, reflecting, listening, and then of course, having some vision and moving forward. So I think it's both. Yeah. There's a phrase that I, and I'm, and I'll, and I'm probably butchering it, but it's along the lines of, you know, we get stuck in what the way the world, we, we want the world to be or a situation to be rather than dealing with what it is. And which kind of what you just said reminds me of that, you know, we could have a vision and we could have a business plan or an idea based on what we wish the world was or the way we think the world should be, but we're not dealing with the reality of the way the world is. So I don't know if that really kind of speaks to what you just said, but that it flagged that for me. And I, so I bring it up. Yeah, it does. It does. I think it, um, I, I resonate with that, but it also not resonate with it. So I, I think it is and true, but sometimes you need to, so, sometimes also needs a little bit of convincing force, maybe even anger. These are not necessarily negative, negative aspects. Like if you're able to channel them into something great, um, like a lot of large innovations, people in the beginning, everyone thought it was silly. Like it also always starts out like that. And then if you, if you would then listen to the, to, to the world, then you would stop Maybe then you might stop then. So then you listen more to your own voice, to your own, you know, your own crazy vision and your own crazy ideas. Yeah. But, but it might have started with a beautiful intuitive thought, which did come out of the world. It's, you know, there's a a place where this goes back to culture and environment when you're talking about the teams that you work with is you have to create and build the environment and create the culture for that kind of creativity to show up, permission to have you know crazy ideas. We used to do, and we haven't done them lately, but we used to do a lot where we'd get together on a regular basis as a team you know, two, three hours at a time where it was nothing but creative space and people would throw ideas on the table. There was no dumb ideas. Nobody was allowed to say, oh, that's a dumb idea. Or that's crazy. And we just whiteboarded, whiteboarded, whiteboarded. And, uh, you know, if it did nothing else, it often, it did, it most often sparked ideas. It most often sparked things to, you know, to kind of double click on, if you will, and, you know, keep going down that path. 
but it did give the team permission to get out of their head some of the ideas that they had kind of download and get past all of the things that were blocking them. And then we found that over time, all of a sudden, some very meaningful and creative thoughts came out of that process. My point is that we also, number one, facilitated that. So we created the space for it. And we then actually kind of set the guidelines and here's the rules. You know, the rules are there are no rules and there are no dumb ideas, right? Let's go. Let's just get ideas on the table. And that was very, very productive. That's fantastic. I think if you create space, if you integrate it in a rhythm, if you integrate it in culture, like whatever you give attention grows. You know, there's all uh, what what came to mind to me is uh, there's also this methodology for people who feel a bit down or depressed. You know, you can do gratitude setting. Gratitude setting can also help you to you know, give a little more of a of a different, more beautiful perspective on your life. So name three things every day that you were grateful for. Even if you had a shitty day, amen, you were able to breathe. You were alive. You could walk. You're like, the other day I saw a beautiful, I saw a spider um, like creating his web and the sun was shining. I was like, hey, that's, that's pretty. But doing that often, it reprograms your mind to also spot those things. So if you do often these sessions where you just go out of your mind, you know, your mind knows that a new session is coming up. So you need to find input, you know, you need to prep yourself to yeah, have something for that next session, you know? So I think it's, uh, I think all of these things, they, they are practices. It's, a, it's attention, it is their habits. They are, so for flexibility, creativity, it is a structure as well. You know, it's, you said something that, you know, I think that, you know, if listeners could really take away what you just said, which is, it is a habit. It is a, you know, it is a, you know, what I often, you know, I'll refer to as my practice, whether it be meditation, whether it be journaling, you know, looking at things in a world that you could be grateful for. You know, I just read a book and I've read it actually a few times now because it was that impactful for me, which was called The Gap and the Gain. And where we often, as A-type personalities, you know, driven to have outcomes, we're always looking at, we find ourselves looking at the gap rather than the gain. You know, we wanted to hit 30, we only hit 22. We don't look at the 22, we look at the 30 we didn't hit, and that becomes the gap. You know, it's that always reaching for the horizon and being pissed off because we don't get to it, knowing even knowing that the horizon is not achievable. You'll never get to the horizon. And so we constantly focus on the gap. It was really an interesting shift of how I view even my day-to-day kind of activities because I'm always looking at wanting to achieve more and gain more, you know, but I'm often looking at the gap. I'm looking backwards at what I, what I didn't achieve as opposed to looking forward as to what I did achieve. The point of that conversation is to what you just shared, which is, you know, where do you, where can you be grateful for what did occur that day? And, you know, it can be, and some days you have pretty shitty days, you know, like, especially as entrepreneurs and business owners, man, you get hammered and, mm-hmm. yeah, you know, and, you know, sometimes it's going to be, well, all I can come up with right now is I'm above ground, I'm breathing and I have a roof over my head. I'll just be grateful for that today. Right. Yeah, that's still something beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. 
Interesting. So, Robert, I appreciate your time. I love the concept of what you've got going on. And, you know, when I think about the adaptable mindset as a program, I, I just think it's awesome. Um, if somebody was looking to dig in and, and find out more about you or your art or whatever, where, where do they go? What do they do? Yeah. Uh, so they can go to adaptablemindset.com and they can write, uh, read a few articles there. Uh, they can look me up on LinkedIn, uh, Robert Overweg, O-V-E-R-W-E-G, or look me up on Twitter and um, yeah, continue the conversation there. And they can look at my art on shotbyrobert.com, as in gunshot or as in photography. Ah, shot. Excellent. Okay, so as we wind down, uh, thanks for that. And I'll be sure to make that, uh, put that in the show notes. I'd like to have a little bit of, uh, you know, lightheartedness too in the show. Not that this has been all that heavy and been very enjoyable, but some rapid fire questions. Keep you on your toes. Sure. You know, I know it's been a long day for you, so I'm going to mm-hmm. get No, let's go, man. Some flex. They're not that tough. You talked about reading biographies, but do you have a favorite book or a book that you gift or something that was most meaningful? Like what comes to your mind when you say, wow, this book had a real impact in my life and or I love to share this book with others? Uh, I love to share the book Untethered Soul. Untethered Soul is about uh, letting go of drama. It empowers you with the ability even in a fight. Imagine in a fight with your lover and that you're able to both step out of it. That's magic. You know, I think um, I think that book has been one of the most impactful for me as well. I encourage anybody. That was uh, Michael Singer and uh, who wrote that book. Excellent, excellent book. What I love about it now is once you've been through it once, you can pick it up anytime, open a page and read. And it's it seems like, okay, that was what I needed to read today. Love it. Um, do you have a favorite inspirational quote that comes to mind? Oh, um, yes. I think it is um, a colleague of mine. It is from Hannah Arendt. Uh, we are free to change the world and start something new in it. Just that simple. Yeah. And that difficult. But let's start with staying <laughs> simple. Let's stay with simple. But if you keep that belief close to your heart, then man, the world will be a beautiful place. Yeah. If heaven exists, what would you like to hear God say when you get to the gates? Hey, here's John Lennon. <laughs> Meet my friend John. <laughs> my friend John. Oh, good. Very good. Your room, your desk, or your car? What do you clean first? Well, definitely not my desk. Probably in a room. Do you have a favorite tune or a favorite band? No, uh, no, I actually have so many different genres that I listen to. It's very, uh, it's a very eclectic bunch. And now, nowadays, man, due to the streaming, I have difficulty even remembering like oh, what my albums I listen to. Yeah, it's terrible. I need to stop that. I need to really stop that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's easy to, you know, throw on whatever app you guys have got over there, but it's easy to throw on Spotify and just let it go, right? And uh, seems to do a pretty good job. Uh, do you have a favorite movie that you watch? Not so. um, oh yeah, Five Obstructions. Five Obstructions. Okay, uh, it's a very obscure movie. I was gonna say, uh, talking about eclectic. Okay, here we go. The Five Obstructions. Yeah, good luck finding that one. Uh, but it's about how limitations can improve creativity. And it's such a fantastic movie. Okay, I'm definitely gonna make a note of that one. Favorite swear word? Fuck. 
And final question, what are you grateful for today, Robert? Oh, good one. So I am grateful for, it sounds a bit weird, but for, for, the, for the spider I saw, I really noticed that clouds were beautiful today. Like the sun was shining, clouds were amazing. And I, to, I told a buddy of mine, I was with him, I'm like, can you imagine that you had, had to paint these clouds? <laughs> like we wouldn't have any idea where to start. They were so uh, amazingly beautiful. I shared a few of these the things that I was grateful for with my parents as well. So we um, we started this thing a few days ago where I share what I was grateful for and they do that as well. And that is just so awesome. That's, That's a great exercise. That's cool. Yeah. That's and I was actually thinking of maybe creating like a small group chat, you know, with, yeah. with a bunch of friends to really get to know them about because if, if you know what people are grateful for, then you can also play a bit more into, you know, um, yeah, orchestrating that or creating space for them to find more of that. You know, I love that. It's something that we do, and I share this with you and with listeners, uh, something we do on a regular basis in our home. And uh, we have lots of chosen slash extended family and they visit and we break bread and we do all the things that we do. But the question that we always lead with when we get together is we'll go around, what was your win today or what are you grateful for today? And we do that as just a, you know, that's kind of how we operate. It's something that we do. And and if we're sitting at the table, we have friends that will actually say grace, but we also just sometimes just sit around and have a quick round the table of, you know, what are you grateful for and what was your win today? And I'll tell you what, it's fun. We get to have some laughs and all of that. And sometimes it's just pause for just sheer gratitude for somebody that they, you know, had a, a great win in that day. And and that's a really great place to uh, hang out in. So love, love that. It. You know, it's really I love it. Well, I'll tell you what I'm grateful for, Robert. I'm grateful for uh, having the opportunity to meet you. Uh, we're very grateful Likewise. for you joining me on the show today. And so thank you. And, uh, you know, I have to always give a big uh, grateful for my family and my wife, who's amazing, and my two dogs who... Just a blast. So anyways, that's my gratitude for today, Robert. So thanks very much. Good stuff. And good to be with you today, Patrick. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for listening. If you found value in the podcast, please take the time to rate and review and share with others. Share with your friends. As it is my goal to always improve and to provide the highest value for you, the listener, If you have any comments, suggestions, or questions you'd like answered, please email me at ceo at raincanada.com. That's ceo at reincanada.com. I look forward to hearing from you. And until next time, Patrick out.